So hey, let's travel back to the first Palm Sunday. Descending from the Mount of Olives was Jesus and his entourage. They would twist and move back and forth and wind down the trail down into the Kidron Valley and then up to the holy city, go through the gate, through the wall, on the other side. Jesus is riding on the colt of a donkey, which was symbolic of somebody who came having already won. He came in peace. He came as the victor. And the people got the message. And their enthusiasm became a wild frenzy. And they took these palm branches and they put them down as a makeshift carpet for the king. And people were shouting, Hosanna to the, in the highest. Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as we said, we call that Palm Sunday. They were excited because they'd waited so long for the Messiah to come to save them. And so now here he is. He's, he's come to save them. Save them from the iron rule of Rome. But really, his salvation primarily is going to be a spiritual freedom that he will give them. A spiritual salvation that frees them from sin and shame forever that they might live in, with him in heaven. And it all takes place through his death and resurrection. Who would have ever guessed that? That'll take place next week. And so today really is the beginning of Jesus' first last week on earth, which we call what? Passion Week, right? So it's Palm Sunday, we're Passion Week, then Good Friday, and then Resurrection Sunday. But one of the things that happens at this juncture that we don't always think about is that Jesus is leaving the scene. And he's not coming back, not for a long time. And he's sending the Holy Spirit to work in their lives so that when people really follow him, they come into relationship with them and the Holy Spirit indwells them and he enables them to become believers and he empowers them to live the Christian life. But it's up to them to live it as they trust in him. So you see what's happening is Jesus is asking us to finish the job. It's up to us to get it all done and then he's going to come again at some point. And so how are we doing in that? Because we're the followers of Christ in this century, in this generation, in this era. How are we doing in finishing the job that he started for us? One of the things that we've looked at that can be a good metric, sort of a measurement for us, is looking at the different values that we have at our church. Say, so how are we doing in our personal walk with God? That's a real biblical analogy, to walk with God. Because when you walk with somebody, you listen to them, which would be... Bible study, for us primarily, we listen to God through Bible study. You talk to them primarily through prayer. And there are two other people, kinds of people, that you're going to walk with alongside of God. And one, you'll keep in step with those that are part of the church family. And others will be those that are lost and don't yet know their way to heaven. And we need to love the family and we need to love the lost. And today, on Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about loving the lost. Because that's our job, to love the lost. That's why Jesus came, right? He came to save the lost. He came because he loved the lost. And so how could we do less? So we're going to talk about how to love the lost. And the first thing we'll mention today is that you have to have compassion on them. There needs to be compassion that we have for the lost. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 through 38. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. Well, what would happen 
if the farmers and the ranchers in our area didn't follow through with the harvest. Nobody went out to collect the harvest. What would happen if there was nobody to teach children? What would happen if doctors and nurses walked away from the hospital? I mean, those are areas that we frequently talk about the need. We need more workers. We need more laborers out in the field. We need more people to teach the kids. You know, oftentimes even parents need to take that responsibility to teach their kids. We need people to take care of the sick. If we don't, the fruit dries up in the vine. Children flounder. And patients die. Historically, there's been another area where there's always a need for workers. And it's really more important than any of the other areas. Because spiritually speaking, it's about eternal life or eternal death. And that's the need for people in the spiritual harvest to tell others about Jesus Christ so that they might come into a relationship with him. And so with I want Jesus, you know, Jesus is saying this you know, actually several years before his crucifixion, before his, just as his ministry is getting going. And he already has compassion for these people. That's why he's come. And we should have that compassion too. Do you have that kind of compassion? Do you ever weep for people that don't know Jesus? Do you ever have that kind of, you know, hurt for them? Now, you, you know, if you're here, and you may be here today, and you don't know Jesus... And that's possible, and it's probably because somebody brought you. Would you say that the believers that you know really have that kind of compassion for you? And here's the deal. Hopefully, they're telling you about their faith with Jesus Christ. You should never, if you're not a believer, never be offended by a Christian who tells you about their relationship with Jesus Christ. You should be offended if they don't. If they really love you, they're going to tell you, you know, how you can come and join them in heaven. And you can always politely say, no, I'm not interested, but never be offended because that's just a sign that they really care about you. I'd be more concerned if they didn't. So if we know Jesus, it just seems like we should want to tell others that we should be, be compassionate about that. So the topic starts with compassion, but more specifically with what we talked about last week, Right? It starts with prayer. Because Jesus says that we should pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'd send out more workers into the harvest. So the starting place is we just start praying for those people around us. And we start praying uh, for God to work in our lives to tell others about Jesus Christ. Do you ever pray for your spouse or your kids or your friends um, or pastors or... I mean, we can be your friends too, but, but pastors missionaries. Oh, do you ever pray for them to tell others about Christ? Do you ever pray that God would give them ability today? You know, as you pray through your day, do you say, oh Lord, I pray that you would help them in their witness and in their example at work today? That you'd help them, to, that you would please help them to articulate their faith in a clear, concise manner to somebody that might ask them? Uh, when we do this, we mysteriously, miraculously join God in the salvation process. And it's something we don't understand, but it's, you know, he's the one who saves, but we get to be part of it. And that can be really powerful. In fact, there may be some people here today that for various reasons are shut in. They can't get out as often as they used to. They don't have the contacts that they used to have. And it gives them an opportunity to pray. And that can still be an opportunity to be sharing your faith uh, through your prayer life. But the second thing is simply spending time with them. What Jesus does, remember we had the quote from verse chapter 9. 
immediately goes into chapter 10, and in chapter 10, he gives sort of a you know, hands-on example of what do you do with this. He's very, very practical. He couldn't get more practical. He says, now that I've told you that we need to pray to reach out to the people that they might hear this message, I want you to go do that. Go give them the message. And so he sends his disciples, his 12 disciples, right after that, he says, go. Go into the towns. Go into the villages. And tell them the message I've given you. This is before the resurrection. Tell them what you know so far. Well, where do you go? Where do you stay? They didn't have hotels. They didn't have motels. They didn't have Airbnbs. Where would you stay? And this is wild. You just go knock on somebody's door and say, I need a place to stay tonight. And if they're hospitable, you stay with them. But Jesus adds something more. He says, tell them my message, and if they're receptive, you can stay. But if they're not, then move on to somebody who is. But there's something further that he tells them. He tells them not to go to people, but he tells them to go to oikons. We've talked about this a lot, and it's important to grasp because this is so much a part of evangelism from Jesus' perspective, is you go to an oikon, which in Greek is a household. So a household would be made up of, oh, it could be made up of 8 to 15 people because you had mom and dad, but you didn't have just a nuclear family. You had mom and dad and the kids, but then they'd have more kids than we usually have. And then oftentimes grandma and grandpa, and maybe aunt and uncle, and maybe some friends, and if you're wealthy, some servants. And so hang out with those people, and they'll keep you busy for a while. And if they're receptive, just minister to those people. Build relationships with them. Get to know them. We may be coming back through here again sometime. And that's how you do ministry. You build relationships with people. And so I want you, you know, to think about who are the people that would be in your oikos today. Now, obviously, it's not to say that you only minister to people in this kind of a setting, in the household, because Jesus will also say that we're to love our neighbor. And from the ancient world's perspective, your neighbor is the person in closest proximity to you. So it's anybody that comes across your path. And there's going to be people that God puts on your mind that you just, and on your heart that you want to pray about. And they may not even live in the community. Maybe a celebrity on television. And if God puts that on your mind, then certainly you pray for that person. Maybe there will be an opportunity at some point to interact with them. And maybe even a relative far away that you maybe will talk to on the phone at some point. But primarily, the people that we most come into contact with are our oikos today. Realistically, you've probably got at, you know, about 8 to 15 people that you have a fairly close relationship with. People that you see every day. People that you live with. Neighbors people you work with, people you go to school with, people you play sports with, people you're in the band with. You, you get my drift. The people that you see. And some of those people, and probably most of those people, don't know the Lord. Or they're, they're unsaved or unchurched. They may say that they're saved, but they don't go to church. You're not really for sure. And so, as followers of Christ, we need to build relationships with them. And we need to, to go through that with them. So one of the things that we did and we've put together for you in the past is this little handout. It's a little bookmark. I should have had one up here with me in the first place. And there's supposed to be one. I got two here. You only need one. Um, but these are our Oikos bookmarks. And most of you have probably seen these before. And if you need some extra ones, we have some on the back. We have um, those available for you. And we have some pencils there and pens. But you can take this home. 
and, and take it home anyway because we don't want to have a lot of mess to clean up. Uh, so, but, but take these and take a look at them. And the basic idea is to write a list. And even if you just start with one, make a list of people that you can pray for. Who, th- don't go out and say, who do I have to figure out? The, you know, have to you know, kind of dig this up and figure out who it is. It's really not that complicated. It's more identifying who they already are. Who are the people that you see the most in your life? Of the people that you see the most in your life, that's step one. Of the people you see the most in your life, who are the ones that don't go to church and don't know the Lord? And then put them on here and start praying for them and start building a relationship with them. You know, you probably already are. But just being more conscious of it and praying for them to come to know the Lord is something we really want to encourage you to do today. Um, A lot of this is just spending time with them. Jesus would eat meals with people. And that's where you do most of your talking, right? It's meals. So spending time eating meals with them, hanging out, talking over the fence. I've had some good neighbors and friends over the years. We'd talk over the fence about the boss and what the boss was having us do. I'm not going to say who the boss was, um, as we did work around the yard. And, you know, you'll have these different relationships that you'll build with people. And so just build those relationships. Hang out. Have meals. um, Have them over play games, help each other in the yard, visit them when they're sick, pray for them, tell them that you're praying for them. And do everything for them that you would want them to do for you. Do everything for them that Jesus would do for them. And understand that you basically are Jesus to them. For many of them, they've never read a Bible or even been to a church. They know very little. And so you're the example of what Jesus is supposed to be to them. Although, of course, we're imperfect, but we try to be as best an example as we can be. Now, notice we haven't said anything about sharing your faith yet. And uh, St. Francis of Assisi once said, um, share Christ and sometimes use words. That can be a cop-out, but at the same point, a lot of this is just being an example. And as people get to know that you know Jesus, they're watching your life and you're being an example by the way that, by you, the way that you care for them. It's, there's no brownie points involved in this. It's just you do it because you love them. And, you know, there are going to be times that people are not receptive, like Jesus said, and you're going to concentrate more on people that are receptive, but you still just keep loving people because you never know. If it's your, if you, it's your household, they're still in your life. You just keep spending time with them. I've had friends. Uh, I have some good friends still I've had for like 30 years that I've continued to share Christ with. There are times we talk about it, times we don't. But they know where I am. And I'm still praying for them. And I've seen people turn to the Lord after many years. So you just never know what's going to happen. So, you know, you spend time with people and you invite them over to your house and you invite them to church. And some of you have been really good at that. Give you a basic idea. That's, that's the basic core of what we do is build those relationships and invite people to church and invite people to know Jesus. The second thing is to swap stories with them. One of the things I most enjoy is swapping stories with people, telling them about my life and learning about their life. I've never met a person that wasn't interesting. Once you start digging in, people have some interesting things to tell you. I don't know if you guys know this, but um, Carrie and I have taken, you know, we have our, our house out on, on the river, and to supplement that, uh, you know, and get some work done around the house and stuff, we actually have turned it into an Airbnb. 
So we use it, and, and, and we're going to, you know, you can come and talk to my wife afterwards, and it's, you know, if you guys want to get away for the weekend, um, make a little bit extra money here. No. <laughs> no. I told my mother-in-law, said she wanted to come visit, and I said, yeah, well, we'll set you up, you know, it's, you know I told her how much it costs and all. So, <laughs> I mean, this, is, this is better than the mother-in-law unit, you know, I mean, you actually, she has to pay you. Um, so... We have this Airbnb, and people come and visit us from Russia, from Israel, from Germany, you know, and uh, Modesto. You know, some, but we have people come from all over, and they're really interesting. We've had some great conversations and opportunities to meet them and, and share with them. Last, yesterday, we had our, after all this time, we had our first two Christians, two, Christian, two sisters in Christ. They're in their mid-20s. Delightful young ladies, really committed in their walk with the Lord. And we talked really for hours. We just talked and talked, and um, we had a really good time with them. But it's interesting what happens when you learn about them. And people don't always ask you about yourself, but you do what Jesus did, and you ask them questions. And it's really fun when you learn about people. You ask them, well, where are you from? And, you know, what do you do for a living? Tell me a little bit about your heritage. Tell me about your, your mom and dad. Tell me about your, your husband or wife, your children. You know, tell me all these different things and you get them going and it's really fun. Randy, you're good at doing that. Randy, you know, watch out because he'll, he'll get to really know you, you know, but that's a good thing. Because the deal is, is we like to talk about ourselves and it's the topic we're best equipped to talk on. So ask people about themselves and don't, and just learn, I mean, love them enough that you really want to know. Because even if they don't know Jesus, God's been working in their lives. So how has he been working in their lives? Find it out and enjoy it. And hopefully at some point they'll ask you about yours. And usually as you get to know somebody, they eventually will. And then you've got to be prepared to tell them about your story. And the Bible talks a lot about that. If you go through the Bible, we see example after example of people, especially in the New Testament, telling about their story, their relationship with God. And Paul does it the most. Several times we have what's technically called a testimony. It's basically a story that Paul tells about his life and how he came into relationship with Jesus. I'd encourage you to go home. And we actually talked about this, I think, just last year. Uh, I think Clifton went through this on Acts chapter 26. But go home and look at Acts 26. And when you get home, look at Acts 26 and just read it. And look at it and look at how he has an outline to it. He tells us honestly what his life was like before he came to know Jesus. He tells us how he came to know Jesus. And then he tells us what happened after he came to know Jesus. We should all be able to do the same thing. And guess what? This is the hard part. He does it with brevity. I mean like five minutes. Because three to five minutes is about all you're going to get. And then people don't want to hear anymore. But if you can get that three to five minutes in, often they'll ask you follow-up questions. And you can go for some time talking. But be prepared to be able to tell people your story. And if you need help or you want to run it by us, come and talk to us about it because we'd love to talk to you about how you can do that. So go home and think about that. And then finally, today we want to talk about how you witness your faith because we've talked about you share your story. That's witnessing your faith. You build relationships with people and pray for them. But how specifically do you actually tell people about Jesus? And there's a great example, I think, that's given to us by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. So let me read that to us today. He says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. 
Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. First of all, boldly identify your faith. Verses 13 through 14. Don't be afraid to let them know that you know Jesus. Usually that's a good thing. Um, when you're a nice person, you tend to, that's what he's basically saying. You're, most of the time, you're, you're going to make friends with them. Sometimes people will have problems, but generally it's not a negative thing. You tell them that you're in a relationship with the Lord. How do you do that? How do you begin that process? I'll tell you the easiest way for me before I was a pastor, uh, and when I, even in between, when I was in between jobs at different times, I had work in in the regular world like everybody else. And one of the things that would often happen is that I would be able to share my faith on Mondays. Mondays is a great day to share my faith. And I'll tell you why. Because on Mondays, people would typically say, or I would say to them, how was your weekend? And they would go often into detail to tell me all the things that they did. And then they'd say, how was your weekend? And I would say, it was great. I went to church. And I had a really good time. And, and I, I, I learned some things, you know. And these are some of the things I learned. And it's been really fun for us. And I wouldn't talk a lot about it. But pretty soon they start asking me more questions. And we get into a discussion. So it can be as simple as that. Think of things like that you can do. But don't be afraid to let them know about your faith. But when you know, they know about your faith, now they're watching you, right? Now you've identified yourself. Which is one of the reasons we don't like to tell them. It's the reason why people take the Christian paraphernalia off their automobiles. Uh, because we don't drive like Jesus. There is, by the way, no example of Jesus driving in the Bible. Um, but he did once famously take the wheel in a song, right? So, but, but, you know, you see the problem that we have is, you know, it's, we're not perfect, but that's okay. We can always say we're sorry. We do the best we can, and it helps hold us accountable so we can grow more in our relationship with the Lord. I've talked about friends that I've had for a long time. It's been over 30 years since Mike and I were voted the best roommates in, high, in college, and we still have a friendship. Uh, Mike does not yet know the Lord and still rolls his eyes at me, and I roll my eyes at him with some of his crazy thoughts. But we have a great friendship, and we joke around, and we have a good time. Our wives are pals. They don't always enjoy our stories, which is... Their loss. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we keep in touch. But I remember especially, and I've known this through years, but it, this is so true to me. I think I've maybe shared it before. It's, it was the one thing that I really remember is that living with a person who was not a believer for a long time, for two years, and how he responded to me. He was watching everything I did. I was a new believer, and as I was growing in my faith with the Lord, he was giving me a hard time. He would, he would do all sorts of stuff to tease me and play jokes on me. And he would say, and he was a couple years older than me. I think it was a little bit of a big brother syndrome that he liked to play on me. He'd really, he'd really just kind of rib me. And he'd say, well, I don't think that's what a Christian should do, Ron. Is that how a Christian should respond to that? He'd say stuff like that to me all the time. And, and the sad thing is most of the time he was right. I mean, he knew what I was supposed to be doing as well as I did. And it was fascinating to see how he was holding me to the standard that I should have been holding myself to. 
And it helped me see that that's true with other people in life. And I would say through the years, I would say it's pretty consistent. It's just that he was telling me more. But it really set me up. And I've watched other people. I've had other conversations through the years that have kind of lined up with that. So once you tell them, they're watching you. And that becomes a witness in and of itself. But then be prepared to defend your faith. Verses 5, verse 15. When someone asks you questions, you need to be able to have the answers. Where do you get those answers from? Primarily, you get them from the Bible. And Clifton talked about that just a couple weeks ago, about how important it is that we know our Bibles and how we should be reading our Bibles. Do you read your Bibles every day? Um, I was talking to somebody in church the other day, and they were saying one of the, you know, we are talking about how difficult it is to find time to read our Bibles, but how you can make time, even if it's just 15 minutes, to read a passage of Scripture, to memorize a verse and carry it with you through the day. One of the best ways to make sure you're reading your Bibles is to get the daily bread that we have on the back. That's, that's a little devotional book. And you can just pick it up as you go out the door. They're free. We have them available for you. And you take them home and you read them. And, and if you read it, you'll walk through the Bible. It'll walk you through the Bible every year. And it'll give you passages to read, and it'll give you a devotional thought to give you for the day. You can usually get through it in about 15 minutes or less, depending on how much you want to go into it. And you can get it on your app, too. And there's all sorts of extra things. Mike Fuel was just showing me on his app. He was showing me he goes through it on his Daily Bread app. There's all sorts of other options, you know, information for how to deal with depression or anxiety and things like that. Really good stuff. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. Um, free and it's there for you. The other thing is read extra books. You know, there's, there's books that tell you how to share your faith and tell you about how to answer difficult questions. I really like um, the Lee Strobel books, The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith. I'll just throw those out because I like those a lot. They're easy reading, they're fun reading, and uh, they really get you thinking. But if you want to go deep and get something classical, do something like Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. That is, that is awesome. That's a great little booklet. He actually, you know what? Those were actually based after World War II. Europe was really shaken by World War II, and England was, was kind of struggling with, how could this happen? And so they asked C.S. Lewis to address it. So he went on the British broadcasting system. Can you imagine this? And he went on live radio every night, prime time, and he talked to the people about how God could allow this to happen in their lives. And then they took what he wrote, his recordings, and they made it into a book. And it's called Mere Christianity. And it's a very powerful book. So I'd encourage you to, to read that sometime. But if you don't know the answers, don't panic. Because, I mean, there's things I don't know or I forget or whatever. Just say, I, you know, this is what you say, I don't know. You don't have to get worried about just, I don't know that one. I'll get back to you. I'll research it. I'll find out. And sometimes you have to say, well, I'm not even for sure. You know, God's a big God. I, I don't know everything. But most of the things, there are answers for. And you can even come to us and we'll ask, help you in the process. One thing that you do need to make sure that you know is how to tell them how to become a Christian. And that's on the back of your booklet. So when it comes time, just say, oh, just a second here. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> no, that's not real tacky, right? I mean, that would, that would be like, whoa, <laughs> blow me away. <laughs> These Christians are really weird. I thought they were weird. Now I know they are. Talk about, they're not like little cult people. No, but, but, um, but you, should, you should know anyway. It just should be something that you memorize, and you should be able to say that you, A, admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. 
B, believe that Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sin. Um, C, choose to follow Christ and place your faith in him alone. And if that isn't really the answer. I mean, that, that just gets the discussion going, but you work through that and help them to understand how they come to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. And if there's somebody here today who hasn't done that, we encourage you to come and talk to us after today's service so that you too can come into a relationship with him. Finally, we defend our faith in a godly manner. Um, shouting at people seldom achieves anything good. When you try to shout at people your faith, it really doesn't work. Um, take it from me, I've tried it. And you know what happens? Every time I've ever gotten to a shouting match with somebody about my faith, we both go away angry and hurt and more resolved that we're not going to believe the other person's position. But when you can have a discussion with people, you can learn from them. I mean, I've had discussions with people that aren't believers and I've come to say, wow, I, I never thought about that way. Uh, I'm misunderstanding something. Or it's caused me to go back to the Bible and look at the Bible and say, oh, I misunderstood what the Bible's actually teaching here. So we can learn from one another. But especially, they're not going to listen to you if you're not te treating them with respect. And so you should. Out of love, you should treat them with respect. And that's how you build those relationships. Uh, Cheryl and Carol, can you believe this? Cheryl and Carol went to college together at the illustrious San Jose State University. Um, they were about months apart in age, about an inch in height, maybe five pounds in weight, both brunettes, both I think had sisters, one lived and grew up in East San Jose and the other one in West San Jose, one is my wife, Carrie, um, and these two gals decided they wanted to be teachers and they met each other at student orientation. And my wife, and if you know my wife, she's this won't surprise you, she went into detail to find out how she could turn a five-year degree into four and discovered she could do it through electives and talked to her counselor and worked it out. And she told Cheryl and they decided to do it together. And so they paced themselves through and took, I think, every class together, unless maybe one or two. They took like every class together. So they just, they lived life together. They went to school together, they walked to classes together, they walked back, they talked, they laughed, they cried, they you know, studied together, they shared information about boyfriends together, that wasn't always so great, but uh, I got into the picture as one of the boyfriends, and Cheryl became part of our life. Um, Cheryl was in our wedding, and she wanted... Carrie to be in her wedding. We were up in Oregon at the time and we weren't, couldn't commit, but Carol was able to go down last minute and treated like a guest of honor. I mean, just did life with this lady. Cheryl was not a believer. And Carrie would talk to her about Christ and they would sometimes argue and it would get heated and then other times they would just casual and then sometimes they wouldn't talk. And she would come to our campus Christian programs and she'd come to church and went to the wedding and we were just in her life. We moved down to San Diego and I remember Cheryl coming down to us um, to tell us that she was struggling in her marriage and she was having a hard time. The kids were little. I remember going out to eat with her at a popular Mexican restaurant we liked to eat at, or Italian restaurant. Italian restaurant, one of our favorite places. And uh, then our kids had health problems. We didn't see her for a while. And you know what happened is she did go through a divorce, but she picked up the pieces of her life became a very respected and, and decorated teacher, and she came to know Jesus Christ. And she came and told us that. It was really exciting. But here's the interesting thing. 
I, and I saw her. I saw her at, recently. At, they've reconnected, so they get together several times a year, and she came to Carrie's dad's memorial, and it was great. I've never seen her so happy. But I think if you ask Cheryl, how did you come to know Christ? She would probably tell you the end of the story. The last person that she talked to and probably wouldn't say that Carrie led her to Christ or that I led her to Christ or any of us that were part of that. But here's what Paul says, and I think this is what we need to keep in mind when we share with people. We don't, oftentimes we don't always see the fruit of our labor. But Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. It takes the family of God to lead somebody into a relationship with God, and it is the Father who ultimately opens the door, and he's the one who's in control all along. And so our job is not to see people, and certainly not to make people, become Christians like some of the old kings used to do. You know, people, a lot of people became Christians when they held out their sword and said, come to know the Lord now, right? You know, that's not what we do. We don't, that's proselytism. Our job is simply to love them, to care for them, to spend time with them, to tell them about our lives, to learn about theirs, to just be real and tell them how they can come to know Jesus and do it in a respectful and loving manner. And the rest is between them and the Lord. And oftentimes, and you think of your life, most of you came to know the Lord not because of an encounter, one-time encounter with one person or a one-time message, but it was a multiple, you know, God hitting you from all fronts. He team tackles. And he's working in a lot of different people's lives around you until he gets you to that point where you're ready. So how are you doing? You know, each week we look at our core of discipleship and we say, where are you at on your journey Uh, We say that there's four different people in life, and of those four different people in life, you know, the four different places that we can be in in life, where are you at in terms of these values? So if we were to say, you know, where are you at in terms of loving the lost? First, you have to ask, are you a believer? If you're an unbeliever, then you're lost, and our prayer for you is that you would come to become a believer. That's between you again and the Lord, but we're sharing that with you because we love you. Paul said this, he said, I wish that, aside from the chains that I have on me, because he was in prison at the time he shared his testimony, I wish you could all have what I have. And we wish it all could have what we have. If you're a believer, have you ever shared your faith? If you're a growing believer, you should be regularly sharing your faith as a part of your life. If you're a maturing believer, not only do you regularly share your faith, but you're probably teaching others to do the same. So that's, you know, really where we want to go. Now, we've talked about the different things that we've done in our church, and I think it's exciting. Uh, we started a, um, our prayer ministry. I, I really feel good about our church in prayer. I already felt good about our church in prayer. We've prayed a lot in this church, but it's been exciting to see us grow in prayer. Um, and I think we have a prayer initiative going. In fact, today we're going to have both Randy Carter and Meg uh, Cole will be over here. I think we're just going to have you over here to start, and we'll see how that works, over by that beautiful um, silver door over here. And if you, if you want to talk, if you want to pray, they'll be there to pray for you right after church. Encourage you to put in prayer requests, 
and know that we are praying in small groups and we are praying in our prayer team and I think prayer is really growing in our church. Bible study, we've got most people or at least a large number of people are in Bible studies and we're encouraging you to study your Bibles. Um, I think about our relationships that we're building that are really fun and very strongly encourage you to go today to the Wagner Ranch. We're going to have a baptism there celebrating somebody who was lost, who has now been saved, and uh, giving her support and also enjoying all the food and fun. So I encourage you to come to that. Uh, and, and we talked about giving, and you guys have been giving more, and that's really been exciting. And the property, we still, people say, what about the property? We put in an offer, and they were responsive. Dan will just say they're responsive. It's positive. At this point, it's positive, but it's a long road to go. But it sounds like we're dealing with them. And, and Sean, you know, you guys felt good about it. They felt very good about the first meeting. So, so that's good. But, but here's the deal. What if we had a cathedral like they have in London? We couldn't because the city wouldn't allow us to and it would be too big for that space we have. <laughs> but, but that's not my point. The point is, what if, what if we were a cathedral and we had this magnificent building, but no one ever got saved? That's what that song Eleanor Rigby is about. Do you ever listen to that song? You know, the old Beatles song, you know, Father McKenzie does the funeral for Eleanor Rigby and no one got saved. And it's just tragic how tragic that would be. Practically speaking, I think you could say salvation is the most important part of our Christian life because without it, we don't even start. It's just utility and death. So it's so important that we know Christ, but also that others come to know him. Giving you a lot of application opportunities today, and people I know often want to say, well, what can I do with this? Or is there one thing? And you pick maybe one thing that you can do, but... If nothing else, this is the main thing I want you to do. This, there's one thing I want you to do for sure today, okay? We've talked a lot over the last couple of years about those of you that have come regularly and been part of the, our, our church know how important it is that we don't do a lot of marketing. We don't do a lot of the pizzazz, all the bells and whistles. We basically reach out people to people through people, through you. You're our emissaries, you're in ba- you, you are the ambassadors of this church. We have empowered you. You are deputized, each of you, um, to be the ones that bring the people in. So you have your list. I've given you a new one. If you've lost your old one, make sure you fill it out. Look at who you have and consider this. What if each of us here asked, and some people may not be ready for this, but most you know, on the list, but I bet you there's at least one or two people on everybody's list that you could ask to come to church for Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is when everybody goes to church. It's the perfect time to ask. So ask. Ask somebody next week, and we'll all do that. And if we all do that, we'll see what happens, and we'll have some fun with it, all right? Okay, please join me with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the things we've been able to talk about today. And it's exciting when we think about just some of these stories. I I think of Cheryl and the transformation in her life. Um, Just, it's just so exciting, so touching to see her just really a new person, the smile on her face. And Lord, I pray for us that each of us would be faithful, knowing that we can't make a person come to know Christ. That's what you do. Uh, That's between them and you. But we have the incredible privilege to tell others, even as others once told us. Lord, please, I pray that you would find each person here faithful. 
uh, that we would all follow through and tell others about Jesus. This week, um, if nothing else, just invite them to Easter Sunday and pray that uh, you would work on hearts and bring people. And that'd be ongoing as we build relationships with others in our, uh, our oikos. And pray, Lord, too, of course, if anybody doesn't know you, that they would come and talk to us, and this would be the day they'd surrender their lives to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.